According to Jim Holder, the editorial director of What Car magazine, depreciation in the value of a car is as inevitable as death and taxes. Which means that unless you've got access to the elixir of life, or perhaps an accountant familiar with the Cayman Islands, then you can expect that that car sitting on your driveway will be losing value with every minute that you spend listening to this podcast. A new car starts diminishing in value as soon as you drive it off the forecourt. So by the time you've been pootling around in it for a year, it could have lost as much as 40% of its value. Three years later, and your car's value could have dropped by as much as 60%. Add into that the fact that cars in the UK typically spend about 96% of their time parked up, and owning a car starts to look like a pretty hefty, inefficient expense. This cost is just one of the reasons that's been suggested for a dramatic drop in car ownership in the UK. Now, of course, plenty of people do still own cars, and there are any number of reasons why that's still the case. For some, it could be convenience, for others, pleasure, and for some, it could simply be their only viable way to get around. But what if it was possible to alter the traditional ownership model entirely? What if, instead of owning a car, you could simply access a vehicle on a need-to-use basis? Or, if you did want to continue having a car of your own, you could balance out some of the running costs and depreciation by hiring your vehicle out to others when you weren't using it. Unsurprisingly, I'm not the first person to come up with those ideas, and there are already a number of businesses that exist in the growing grey area between vehicle ownership and traditional rentals. But what happens when you throw connected and autonomous vehicles into that mix? Well, listen on and you might just find out. Welcome back to Journeymakers, the podcast exploring not just what the future looks like, but how we're going to get there. Each month, we take on one of the big questions facing the future of mobility. And in this episode, we're talking about rentals. And the big question we're asking is, will driverless vehicles make every car a rental? Now, before we get to the heart of the issue, it's probably worth giving a quick overview of how the car rental industry currently works. The rental market is dominated by a handful of big operators, household names that you'll recognise like Hertz, Europecar, Enterprise and Avis. These companies buy cars in large numbers, and we're talking millions here, and typically they get about a year's use out of each of them. Once each car has been in use for around 13 months, it will then be sold on. The buyers at this stage are typically either the manufacturer that provided the car in the first place or a wholesaler who will sell the vehicle on to used car retail outlets. In this way, the big rental outlets are able to account for the cost of depreciation by agreeing a resale price with vehicle manufacturers at the point that they first buy them. The whole system follows this cycle in an endless loop of buying, renting, reselling, buying and renting again. Ultimately, it's designed to extract as much value from an individual vehicle as possible before it ends up on the scrap heap. And until recently, that had been a pretty successful model. However, as ever, there are still challenges. Two of the biggest challenges that rental companies face are firstly, that it's a hugely capital-intensive business, and secondly, that the customer experience is often not that great. 
If you've ever spent an hour or more waiting to collect a car from an airport after landing with a furry mouse and a healthy dose of jet lag, then I'm sure you agree that a little bit of change could be a good thing. And in recent years, a handful of innovative new companies have cropped up to tackle these challenges and reshape the rental industry as we know it. A mixture of ride-hailing services and new peer-to-peer operators that allow individual car owners to lease and borrow cars amongst themselves have proliferated in the UK's urban centres. And the advent of connected and autonomous vehicles and the presumed ability to hail a driverless car from wherever you are on demand offers even bolder new possibilities for this service. Which of course begs the question, in this future world, will anyone actually own their own car? Or will driverless vehicles make every car a rental? Just as we do every month on Journey Makers, we've enlisted a panel of experts to help get to the bottom of this big quandary. Offering up their wisdom this month is... My name's Nick Shields. I work for Business Insider Intelligence, which is the market intelligence arm of Business Insider. Um, I cover the digital transformation of the auto industry on our transportation and logistics team. And... My name's Russell Fenner. I'm head of innovation at eCar Club, and I'm interested to see how the car club model can fit into uh, new and emerging mobility spaces. And finally... My name's Phil Makinson. I'm Chief Commercial Officer at Hire Car, uh, which is a peer-to-peer car sharing platform. And I'm really interested in the future of cities and how we're all going to get around better in the future. Nick Shields at Business Insider Intelligence says that new transport solutions like ride-hailing apps have already transformed the way that we think about rentals. Driverless cars, he says, will only increase the impact of that disruption. Already, ride-hailing has sort of disrupted the um, rental car industry. You take Avis, for instance. Um, they earned about $42 per rental car per day in 2010, and then 2017, they earned only about $40. That might not seem like much, but, um, you know, I think in such a capital-intensive business where you're running, you know, hundreds of um, locations in many, many countries that, uh, that depresses your profit margins. So I think taking the fact that the rental car industry has already been disrupted by the advent of and the you know, availability of ride-hailing services, um, I think moving forward, there's definitely an opportunity for driverless cars within the rental car industry. Will every car be a rental? I think every car will be shared or the vast majority of cars will be shared to one degree or another. Nick argues that car sharing services like Zipcar have already started eating into the rental car business, but that a distinction needs to be made between short and long-term lets. Short-term trips in urban areas will be dominated by ride-hailing, says Nick, but longer routes and longer-term leases will remain the domain of more traditional rentals, whether they be autonomous or not. I think mainly what we just need to you know, focus on is what it what we mean by a rental. So you think of the traditional rental industry, um, you know, I go to Enterprise or Avis or Hertz and rent a car, use it for three weeks, two weeks, and uh, return it back to Avis or, um, or Hertz or whatever, one of those companies. Um, I think the key thing to think about is the changes we're talking about within the auto industry, as you well know, are not necessarily um, focused on transforming rental cars, but they will transform the rental car industry, um, specifically the advent of driverless taxis. I mean, 
Um, for travelers, the rental car market has already, or the travel rental car market rather, has already been disrupted by by ride hailing. Um, I mean, to use a different example, if you are going to New York to only go in in New York, or even say Boston, a city where it doesn't have ex, as extensive of a taxi cab system, um, you know, if you're going to Boston to travel for a weekend. Um, I think what you will see now is people will travel to a city like that and instead of renting a car solely rely on, you know, ride hailing and ride sharing. So far, so simple. But who will the big players in the shifting mobility space be? At the end of the day, we don't really know right now um, who's going to win out over the, over the long haul. I mean, you take tech companies, take automakers, take rental car companies. Um, they each bring advantages to this sort of space. The one advantage that I think automakers and um, traditional rental car companies have is they have this, their biggest asset is perhaps the biggest physical asset, and that's real estate. Um, so take take Avis, for example. They own 580,000 vehicles across 11,000 locations in 180 countries. Enterprise has over 9,000 locations in 90 countries. So I think to that point, um, rental car companies and automakers with their big footprint of dealerships, um, they have the assets to store, maintain, and sort of manage a fleet of autonomous vehicles. Now, that said, just because you're maintaining a fleet doesn't mean you're necessarily owning the customer interface or you know operating an app um, for ride hailing or Airbnb for, for car rentals. But I think that said... There's room for there's room for both, right? I think for the most part, tech companies, at least in the U.S., have kind of been at the forefront of, and notably Waymo, have been at the forefront of developing autonomous technologies. But what Waymo doesn't have is what these rental car companies and these automakers have, and that's assets. Um, so that's why you see somebody like a Waymo go out and partner with Avis, um, and Avis is, you know, maintaining uh, Waymo's fleet, doing repairs, cleanings. Um, things like that in its locations out in out in Arizona, um, where Waymo is, you know, operating its its Waymo One service. Um, so I think that said, um, what the rental car companies are then ceding to, you know, Waymo like a tech company um, is the customer experience. You know, out in Arizona, a Waymo customer opens the Waymo app the same way they would with an Uber or a Lyft app, and you know, orders a ride um, from one destination to another. It's the back-end services and the upkeep that is handled by the, the rental car company through their existing network of facilities. So there's room for, there's room for both, both companies in that ecosystem. The word ecosystem is key here. SMLL is itself an example of different companies with varying assets and expertise coming together to collaborate on a shared goal. Nick suggests that the lines between all of these different organisations become even more blurred when you go on to consider how autonomous rental cars might be put to use as delivery couriers too. Ultimately, he sees the future as one which is shared. Something we didn't even touch on in this conversation is cars used for delivery versus ride hailing. I mean, you can imagine a future where a car picks up commuters in the morning, um, drops them off at their, their workplace, and then you know goes out and makes deliveries for Amazon or Walmart during the day all day. Um, so that's a really, that's a shared car, um, you know, but is that a, is that a rental car? Um, maybe not in that specific instance, but maybe 
that car is made available on, you know, a Zipcar or a Car2Go marketplace. That is effectively a rental service. So you'll see a lot more sharing. I just don't think at the end of the day, you'll see companies want to, or you'll see consumers rather want to, you know, turn over every single car that they own to rental car services and to, to shared services. But I think one thing that we all need to grow accustomed to expect just that sharing for various purposes will just be the norm in the age of autonomous vehicles. And I think that's, that's exciting in a lot of ways. It'll lower the per mile cost of, of vehicle ownership. Um, but, you know, gone or close to gone are the days where every family in the U.S. or Europe or wherever it might be owns two to three cars and personalizes their car. Um, I think we're kind of transitioning away from that um, and towards a, a more shared future. For Russell Fenner from eCar Club, the pay-as-you-go electric car club that's owned by Europe Car, this increase in sharing is typified by car clubs. He sees car clubs and ride-sharing as a step on the way towards a mobility market more widely populated with autonomous options. Obviously, the rental market's been long established and there's new mobility modes coming out, including the, the car club model. Uh, which is a, a great way to help transition across to more the driverless modes as the technology emerges and uh, the new models come out. A lot of it's along, moving along that way at the moment. I mean, obviously, all the vehicles within our fleet are connected to a back office system. So uh, we people have remote access to the vehicles and they're all connected so we can see what's going on. We can monitor charge levels and, and all the things that we need to do from there. So the shift from there along to the autonomous route is just sort of another another part of that curve, really. Russell believes that this shift will be supported by changing generational attitudes towards car ownership too. So the technology obviously has to be there, particularly on the driverless side, and I think there's a you know an awful lot of work on the policy side and building public confidence that the autonomous route is going to be safe and one that can work. Um, but I think there is a mentality shift as well. Um, you know, we've we've helped take people on a journey to moving away from the idea that you need to own a vehicle and you can rely on the car sharing and have the, the vehicle when you need it. And from the people we talk to, I think the autonomous part is the next part of that shift. There's still a lot of people who quite like driving or think that that's something that they're going to do all the time. But I think just as we've seen with sort of the, the latest generation of drivers coming in, not necessarily expecting to own their own car and being more used to that shared model over time, I think the next generation will, will move on again and just expect that driverless versions will be available. Obviously, the timeline for that is uh, potentially still somewhere in the future, but it seems to be the path that hopefully we will, uh, we will go down. This would suggest that as ownership decreases, more vehicles will indeed be thought of as rentals. Existing rental organisations are looking closely at where the opportunity might lie in this oncoming era. And Russell agrees with Nick that the experience of operating and maintaining fleets could be invaluable. The transition sort of already started. I mean, you know, the, as part of our wider group, we're, we're already looking at all sorts of different mobility options from sort of ride hailing alongside the, the car club type model. So a lot of the rental organisations are, are looking at that and looking at where the, the next set of business models are, are going to be. So uh, I, I still think they're going to play quite a major role in that process over time. Obviously, we've got the experience of running the fleets, maintaining the fleets, uh, you know, the booking and back office systems that make everything work in the background. So I still think there's likely to be a place for, for those organisations and there's a real opportunity for them to be real leaders in the space.
One thing that Russell is less clear on, however, is how autonomous vehicles might impact the rental experience for people travelling abroad. For many of us, renting a car while abroad or on holiday may well be the only experience we have of car rental. But as we suggested in the very first episode of Journey Makers, there's a whole tangle of legislation to get through before travelling in a driverless car from country to country will be possible. That's going to be a bigger question around how quickly the technology rolls out and where it rolls out first. That I think there's probably going to be some countries that, that follow a similar path to the UK and uh, start to reach this at a similar time, so the model might be quite similar there. It might be that you can have uh, sort of cross-border memberships of these type of schemes over time. It, it, it depends how that market shapes up. There, there still may well be more traditional models in some places where the technology is harder to implement or takes a bit longer. Um, but that's perhaps where the more traditional rental and car sharing markets will, will continue for, for longer. One mobility service which has made its way all over the world with apparent ease is the humble taxi. Taxis have been around since the 1600s, and the idea of hiring out carriages in the UK was first dreamt up by pub landlords, perhaps unsurprisingly. Hirecar's chief commercial officer, Phil Makinson, says that autonomous cars will especially blur the boundaries between getting a taxi and renting a car. I, I think, you know, when we talk about renting, it's important to understand that in the current world, we differentiate getting a taxi from renting a car. Obviously, with a taxi, you're not driving and renting a car, you are. Where there's a driverless car, that, that division breaks down a little bit. So, um, you know, in urban environments, I think, you know, the, the, the hiring of cars to drive yourself will become less frequent. But in a, in a world where you know, people are driving less frequently, the desire to actually drive a car for pleasure and therefore to rent one outside a city could become actually more common. Um, and especially if you're going on a road trip where you want to keep your stuff in the car and so on, then the idea of taking a taxi isn't so suitable for that. You want to have a car, whether it's driverless or not, for a longer period of time as yours. So that, you know, that could definitely lend back towards a rental model. This distinction helps to put the question of renting while abroad in a bit more perspective. But Phil says that as autonomous vehicles become more widespread, there will be a merger of existing business models. The action of hailing a cab or renting a car will centre on mobility platforms, and who or where your vehicle is coming from will actually matter less than the efficiency or comfort with which your journey can be made. You know, there is a, an increasing sort of merger of what we understand as different business models, Uber or other taxi companies, uh, and Hertz or Zipcar or Hirecar, uh, you know, that, that division will somewhat break down. So um, I think in future, people will generally book from a platform uh, when, they are, when they need a vehicle rather than individually booking a single car. So that is much more like a, a taxi booking experience. Uh, and that implies that you're booking from an enterprise. However, the cars could be owned by a private individual and they're basically giving their, their car up to that platform when they don't need it so that it can be monetized. And that in a way is a bit like peer-to-peer -peer car sharing today, but through a platform. Now it's possible that through blockchain uh, and other technologies, that the idea of having a platform in the middle will become uh, less needed and the idea of a direct rental between two private individuals could become more possible. But for the, for the foreseeable future, we do see some sort of platform that will allow the supply, whether that's enterprise or privately owned, to be connected to whoever wants a car. This in turn, says Phil, will have an impact on the rates of car ownership and even the reasons for owning or not owning a car.
In a world of driverless cars, uh, most people expect there will be lots of available cheap capacity um, uh, that you can get your hands on right away. And, and therefore the idea of having the luxury of a car sitting around, which you know, on current numbers is unused 95% of the time, it actually makes even less sense than it does today. So it's just much easier to get mobility without owning a car or indeed without renting one in the future. Um, but I think on the other hand, uh, the opportunity for uh, people to, uh, you know, to have a different experience, uh, whether that's by owning and making money from renting out uh, a driverless or, or, or a driver car, will become more frequent simply because less people will actually own a car on a day-to-day -day basis. So it really changes your reasons for owning a car, um, at, but at the same time decreases the need to own a car. As these different business models that span large enterprises and individual citizen car owners continue to merge, there'll be another grey area that grows, namely around the distinction between public and private transport. In 2015, Uber launched its pool service. Uber Pool lets passengers pay a smaller fee if they're willing to share their ride with others taking a similar route. The move was met with amusement as commentators suggested that Uber, rather than inventing a revolutionary new mobility service, had in fact replicated bus routes. This, says Phil, is a trend that has continued apace since then and will gather speed with the introduction of driverless options. We're already seeing major mobility players like Uber and especially via van who are already bridging the gap between what is commonly known as private taxi-like services and public bus and train services. Um, of course, you know, with uh, council and government budgets under threat, the opportunity for services that allow public benefit while at lower public cost is going to be really interesting. So over time, I think uh, in the world of driverless cars, it could well mean that uh, bus or bus-like services decrease, but on-demand but cheap regulated services increase. So it could mean a lot less big buses moving around, but a lot more publicly run services, which could actually be provided by private companies, as they are now, could become much more prevalent. While the relationship between public and private transport options remains a grey area, we believe it's important that cabs are used to complement public transport services. A street of people, who usually drive separately to the same train station in the morning, for instance, could instead be able to share an autonomous cab, perhaps even as part of some kind of monthly public transit pass. The nice thing about grey areas, of course, is that they're good for painting colourful new pictures in. Nobody we spoke to for this episode went as far as to say that driverless vehicles will make all cars a rental, but it's clear that cabs will cause a shift in how people think about vehicle ownership. It's likely that driverless cars will blur that distinction between hiring taxis and renting personal vehicles too. Some of this change has already been ushered in by car clubs and ride-hailing services, and our experts all seem to agree that mobility platforms that incorporate connected and autonomous vehicles will eventually dominate the way that people get from place to place. Perhaps more than any of the discussions we've hosted on Journey Makers, this dive into the rental market and how it might be impacted by driverless vehicles has highlighted how new mobility services should look to bring together multiple modes of transport, both public and private. What happens next with all of that will have to be a question to tuck into in a future episode. We've come to the end of the road for this month. Join us again next time as we take on another big question facing the future of mobility.
find Journey Makers wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you've got a big question you'd like to hear us tackle in another episode, then send us a tweet at smll underscore London. Until next time, see you in the future. How will you be getting there?